Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to normalize grief and loss through candid conversations and shared experiences. Hosted by me, Sally Douglas, and me, Imogen Khan. We unfortunately joined a club that nobody wants to be part of when we both lost our mums unexpectedly. This podcast aims to create a space to openly discuss what grief is like and provide comfort for those who might be going through a similar experience. We'll shed light on an often taboo subject with honesty, hope and a little bit of humour. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Sarah Tarko. Multi-talented Sarah is a former beauty editor, writer and co-founder of The Wayward, a destination for premium lifestyle content. And she also recently founded Gloss Etc, which is a new weekly beauty edit. In this episode, Sarah shares her deeply moving story on what it was like to lose her stepdad, Daryl, to colon cancer in 2005, when Sarah was only 23 years old and at a point in her life where she needed him the most. Sarah talks us through how she coped with not only losing her mentor, but also the greatest influence in her life and how her grief has changed and evolved over the years. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you you so much for having me on. So nice to have you on the show. We're big fans of The Wayward, so it's lovely to finally be able to speak to you. And I know you've got a really interesting story to share. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's such an honour to be on and to be able to talk about one of my favourite people. Sarah, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about your lovely stepdad, Daryl? Absolutely. So Daryl, I mean, he came into my life when I was 14 years old and my parents had recently divorced only a year before and I was 14. So I was feeling all the 14-year-old emotions and I was not having a bar of some weirdo that my mum was dating and like cast it back like your mind back to this is this is in the early nineties as well. And you know, this was a man who drank soy milk, which was like really weird back then and he loved sandalwood and he had this laugh like Mutley the dog and he was just beautiful and warm and quirky and I was like angry and emotional and all these things, but he just had a way of getting under your skin in the most subtle way possible like he was just that shining ray of light to so many people and even though I didn't want to have him in my life and I didn't you know want to accept anyone sort of in that at that at that time in my life he just got in there (laughs) and even now I know how special that is for a stepdad to be able to step into your life and to ha- to be so close to someone who wasn't your your blood essentially, and for him to be like you said in the intro, my the greatest influence in my life, and he shaped who I was at a time in my life when you know you having all the shaping in adolescence. So he really is the person who made me who I am and really gave me, I guess, the foundations for growing into an adult. And that is not lost on me, that how rare and special that is. Daryl sounds amazing and I can totally relate to you, Sarah, as I've got a stepdad who sounds exactly like Daryl. He's um, <laughs> super spiritual and he's a Buddhist and he came into my life when I was quite, you know, I think I was about 
three or four, but he's wow. been such a great role model for me as well. And it's just, you know, step parents are just such an underappreciated role in life a lot of the time, I think, but they can be so pivotal to, you know, our growth and yeah, such an important part of our life. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you're right, they are really underappreciated. And I think the older I grew up as well, the more vivid it was to me that this man owed me nothing in life. He really, he didn't have to love me. He wasn't, you know, required by blood to to be that person for me. And it was such an honor to have him in my life, but also that he stepped into that role so open-heartedly. And I think, you know, it's so, it must be so challenging for step parents out there to walk into this life. But yeah, he was just absolutely incredible. So true. Such a thankless job sometimes. And kids can be cruel too. You know, I remember <laughs> saying things like, you're not my real dad and yeah. yeah, horrible things. But no, it's lovely that you had a great relationship with, with Daryl. Mm-hmm. He sounds like a great guy. Sarah, can you talk us through what happened to Daryl and his, his diagnosis and how you came to find mm-hmm. out about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, I think about maybe in 2002, and I was in my early 20s, I think I was 21, and I just moved to Sydney to start my career in magazines. And it was literally months later that I got a phone call from him and my mum saying that he'd been diagnosed with colon cancer. And the way that they delivered it to me was very typical of Daryl and mum. It was like, no big deal. This is just a thing that's happening. We're totally going to fight this. Just wanted you to know, like, just flagging it. It was like, that's what it felt like. Just just a little something we're going to flag with you. Daryl's got cancer. And I guess at that time, because we didn't know all the details, maybe they felt that way as well. But he was absolutely going to fight this. And because of it, there was this real like, oh, this is a crappy thing, but it's not the end of the world kind of vibe to it. And, you know, mum and Daryl had my younger sister, you know, only six months or so earlier. So she was really little and I was like, well, you know, he's not going to die because Lily is only just born and she needs him in his life. And it was just really very, like, not a big deal. And then he had an operation to remove some of his colon a bit later and then some treatment. And as the months moved on, the diagnosis came in thick and fast and we found out that it had spread and then there was chemo and then it had spread further. And this went on and on for, for two years before he was finally diagnosed as terminal in early 2004. But even then, it, he had come to Sydney to visit me with my mum and Lily and he looked so well and everyone kept saying, but he looks so well, you can't tell he's got cancer. And that was one of the greatest deceptions is that he was still full-cheeked and still healthy-looking um, and everything. And that ended up being the last time that he came to Sydney because when he returned back to Adelaide, he was admitted to a hospice only months later, where he spent the next six months essentially in a hospice. And, you know, that's when the sort of deterioration began and, you know, the weight started to fall off and he became jaundiced and all the wonderful things that come along with a cancer diagnosis. So, you know, every time I would return back to Adelaide, you, I had this 
tends to dread that, am I saying goodbye to him for the last time? Is this it? He just has absolutely no idea. And he passed away in December of that year, uh, December 9. But even to that, to that end, like when we were, when we were packing up his things afterwards, he had bought my mum a Christmas card already and he'd had it by his bedside table and he was still so optimistic even at that point that he thought that he would live to see Christmas with my mother and that is probably the greatest I guess analogy of the whole cancer thing is that he forever lived in hope which I think also gave us a lot of false hope as well during that time but it was a really long just over two year period of of grieving that is a long time and i i have heard that with people that have terminal illnesses there's that anticipatory grief where Mm. you are grieving before they've gone Mm. what were the last few months or weeks of daryl's life what did that look like were you in sydney still or did you did you fly home to adelaide when you sort of knew the time was near yeah, it was. I was still in Sydney because I had a full time job by that stage, and so I was flying back to Adelaide as much as I could, and that was kind of every two weeks or so, and just racking up credit card debts like it was nobody's business because I was in an entry level job and earning no money, and just trying to live this kind of double life. And look, it was six months or more of just holding your breath. That's what it felt like, and just watching the person you love literally be eaten away in front of your eyes, and it's just—it was just horrible. Like it was, it was this really prolonged period of time where you just didn't know whether you were saying goodbye for the last time, and so just having that emotionally play out on you was just. It was just horrible. Like you were saying goodbye constantly for six months every two weeks. Sounds I like, felt like I was saying goodbye. Sounds like such a roller coaster of emotions as well, like not knowing mm. what's going to happen, when's going to be the last time that you see him. And you were so young going through this as mm. well, like in your early 20s. How mm. how did you cope? Um, Alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I did – I think the typical things that, you know, that any any young person does and that was I threw myself into my work and to the things that I could control, you know, and I had a lot of very big nights and yeah, and just just did that and you know, of course it wasn't very healthy, but I didn't have any friends that were going through what I was going through or had gone what I was through what I was going through. It was just unfathomable to most people because you know your early 20s aren't a time for parents dying they're they're a time for you know experimentation and you know having crazy love affairs and having your first job and all these things they're not a time for ending absolutely Um, and you had to kind of grow up quite quickly I'd imagine yeah uh, you do and and that's it like death and grieving is such a, a grown-up reality and so at odds with all this other newness that was sort of happening in my life and I felt a lot of guilt because I had left Adelaide 
and I'd moved to Sydney and I was away from my family and, and everything while this was happening. But that sort of guilt was actually, in the end, the only reason I stayed in Sydney because, of course, my first instinct was wanting to come back and to be with my family. But Daryl actually gave me an extremely stern talking to one of the points when I was had come back to visit and told me that absolutely in no way was I ever going to come back to Adelaide and my life path was to be in Sydney and this was my dream and I was the one that was going to keep living after he was gone and there was no way in, that I was ever going to step foot back in Adelaide permanently. <laughs> so I stayed in Sydney <laughs> like a good girl. <laughs> and yeah, and he was he was the reason that that I kind of stayed and you know and ended up sort of carving out my career in that way. It's lovely that he gave you his blessing to do so, and that you were able to kind of move forward with that because you were you know the start of a great career for yourself mm. as well. It was an important time for you on a personal level. Mm, absolutely. And I know that you and Daryl had a really close relationship and and you have mentioned he's was quite spiritual how have you tried to continue to connect with Daryl since he passed and I know with me my mum only died about eight months ago and I'm still trying to work out this whole spiritual connection thing when I yesterday I had flickering lights in the kitchen I'm like mom is that you you know butterflies fly past and I like to tell myself that that's her but you know how have you kept that connection alive with Daryl gosh eight months um, yeah. <laughs> that is so fresh. Yeah, that I'm fighting so back fresh. tears this whole time. I'm having like I a just, heavy day today, but it's like, you know, it's good to, you know, talk about this stuff and, and share my grief. But yeah, it is very fresh. Yeah, it is. It is really fresh. And don't worry. I was on the, on my way up to where I am right now. I was having a, talking to my partner about the podcast and having a massive cry. And he's like, well, this is going to be a great show. You're just going <laughs> to cry your way through it. And I'm like, I was on Brexit. I'm emotional. Um, and, you know, I think you have eight months. You, of course, you're still navigating through it. And I, honestly, I think whether you're spiritual or not, like I think that wanting to connect with the person that's passed is just is your way of keeping them alive in, in, in your life. And I, I, I think that there's no right or wrong way to do it, whether you, know, whether you want to believe that it's a flickering light or not. Daryl was never not present in my life. And he's always in my thoughts. I am always thinking, what would Daryl do? And how would Daryl guide me? And, you know, I talk to him often. And I talk about him often and I am still really close to one of his good friends and we catch up on the phone, you know, every month or so. And she's, she's actually an intuitive and clairvoyant and we talk about Daryl all the time when I speak to her and she throws in little quips about what he's up to, <laughs> what he's doing and, you know, and things that he's saying, like little Darylisms. And so I think that that, feeling is always is it's always going to be there but I'm I'm not embarrassed about keeping him alive in my life because as you both have said it doesn't go away it becomes a more comfortable part of Mm. of you rather than being the absolute pain point Mm. in your life and it's hard because 15 16 years is a really long time for someone to be gone and people you know you do expect you to have moved on 
but it never goes away. And I've had some huge things happen in my life in that time. I, I, you know, I gave birth to my son and I'm about to have another. And of course, there's like all these emotions because he would have been the greatest grandfather. And I know that. And that absolutely tears me apart that he's not there to experience it. But, you know, even with the birth of Yuki, which was and has been the, the single saddest thing that I think he has not been here for. He, he hasn't even met my partner, Phil, who I've been with for 10 years. But with Yuki and in thinking about the the birth, I one of the things I wanted was to have Sandalwood in the room because that was it still evokes all Daryl to me. So Sandalwood is one of my favourite scents because it was his favourite scent, and every time I smell that, I'm reminded of him. So I had sandal, I had a sandalwood spray, and I also had a playlist with Tacville's Canon in D, which was one of the um, the songs on the playlist. He was Dale was very into classical music, and he used to have this infuriating for a teenager habit of only playing classical music on Sunday. <laughs> so no top forty allowed, only classical, but him and my mother got married to Paxwell Cannon in D and it was on our playlist when Yuki was born and literally the moment that Yuki entered the world that was the song that was playing oh my goodness. so it was inexplicably linked to Yuki and to my life and you know in song in smell and I think I think that like well we know that of all the senses that smell is the thing that is the sense that is closely linked to memory. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the Sandalwood connection is, is particularly potent because um, that is what invokes a lot of Daryl memory to me as well. But so I have the, you know, have kind of all the senses <laughs> tapped into here. But I, I speak to Yuki about him too. And I, I, I call him, he's got a name, he's Granddaddy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm saying, hey, is Granddaddy here today? Can you see Granddaddy? Is Granddaddy, Granddaddy visiting you in your sleep? And he knows who Daryl is. There's photos of him in the house and we talk about him. And, yeah, I guess I'm I'm not ashamed of that. And even to people who aren't really spiritual, like, you know, unless you've been through it yourself, you don't know. And this is the way that I'm choosing to keep his memory alive. That's beautiful. And, you know, that moment where you gave birth your son and Daryl I think he probably came through in that song I did read an Mm. article on the wayward where they were saying that you know spirits like to try and connect through music and I Mm. I think that is so true and yeah it just goes to show in that moment I think I know of all the songs and so yeah exactly like that Yuki song now and it's the song that we play when we need Yuki to calm down and go to sleep and and things like that. So actually, it's you know, it's quite beautiful that this piece of music has sort of travelled throughout my life with me, and is so linked to to both of them. So significant. It's just absolutely amazing. I was telling him I went to see a medium the other week, mm. and it's the first time that I'd been since my mum passed. I've been before, but never went with the intent of trying to connect with a spirit. And she came through and the medium was drawing like music notes and she was saying, your mum is saying, you know, music, that's how you can connect with her and how you know that she's around. And 
a few months prior I it was my birthday and the night of my birthday was the first time that I'd had a dream about my mum and it was really vivid and the next Mm. day I went into a shop and they were playing like her favorite song and yeah Mm. I, I took that as like a a connection that she was there and now when I Mm. listen to music you know it might not be like a random I might put it on myself but I feel like that's my my way of connecting. Yeah and there is such a beautiful I think sense of calm in it as Mm. as well so it's up to us to to sort of keep this stuff alive as well and I Mm. think it helps I think it really helps with the grief and strangely over the years I had a few things of Daryl's that I had a necklace and a ring and I lost them. And I don't really lose things, but they got lost at some point. And ironically, it was at an airport and it just fell off my neck. I used to wear the necklace with the ring on the end and it just fell off my neck. And I was understandably absolutely shattered. Yeah, devastating. But I just realized it's not about the thing. Like it's not. You know, like, what am I going to do with that thing? He was more than a necklace and a ring. And I understand that we all hold on so desperately to the material things as well because that was part of, you know, what reminds us of them. But then I think about, you know, this song or the scent and they are so much more powerfully connected to who he was than this thing, this material thing that I had as well. So... I really think about that now and definitely not with any sadness because these other tools that I have just feel so much more potent and so much more special than something that is really no longer a part of him. I mean, that said, like, take all the things if you have them. Like, there is no right way to grieve or to feel or anything. And that is by far and away the biggest lesson that I've learned over these years and over this loss that no one can tell you how to feel through this time. There's no time limit. There's no way. You don't just miraculously feel better one day. You don't just get up and go, right, I'm over it. Let's go. Let, let's just start living life. It's one of the biggest misconceptions is that you, you should feel okay over a certain time. And this expectation that you need to hurry is utter bullshit to be honest you know it's a process of so many years and it's not a process of forgetting and getting better it's just a process of accepting this new part of yourself and one of the things I always say to people who are experiencing new grief is that you feel however you want to feel whether you want to go and hit something or scream or just cry for days Every single feeling is valid and okay. And I'm here if you want someone to scream with. (laughs) I'm also here if you want to have a drink. You know, it's it's however you want to feel. And it's so so messy in the early days. Like I'm a bloody, I'm all over the place, you know, eight months in. And it's just sometimes you can feel all those stages of grief in the one day. And then the yeah. next day kind of have a numb day and then it's just as it is all over the place. It is like and all of those things are okay. And even within my family watching, you know, I'm I'm one of five. So even watching my siblings deal with the grief and we all dealt with it in such different ways. And my mother and 
you know, and my little sister who never knew her dad. Oh, that is just like the constant point of pain in my life is that my little sister Lily just didn't get to meet this man. And, you know, when I see her now and she's so him in personality and she looks like him and everything and I just think, oh, God, that sucks that you didn't get to know him. But anything that you're feeling is okay and people need to be understanding of that. Like, I don't know where we got this idea that you have to prescribe to a certain way and time limit of grieving. And to me, like I said, I lost some friends and I gained others. And I think a lot of people go through that. And that's okay because it's just like any huge change and transformation in your life is that it sort of is a spiritual cleaning in a lot of ways that you you are at a pivotal point where you find out who will be there for you and and who isn't the right fit for you during that time. And that just feels like another crappy thing that you have to deal with. But on the other end of it, you're kind of glad that some people have left your life because they're not in there for the long term either. It's so true. And just kind of like, yeah, accepting that, that friendships will come and go. And you, it is it is weird like when you lose someone so close to you and then some friends do drop away. And then you kind of just like, I don't yeah. have the energy to, to try and you yeah. know reach out to them at this point. But I think just and accepting. And it's not your responsibility to either. Like it's. Yeah. Like it's strange to me that people do want to step away during that time and it, it was shocking at a young age to do it, but it happens. People were deeply uncomfortable with it and they don't know how to they don't have the capacity to deal with your with your grief or they don't have the tools within themselves to be able to help you. And you definitely learn a lot about people through the grieving period. And ultimately, like as much as it's crap at the time, it's it's better for you, but still not a nice thing to also have to deal with when you're going through so many other things. Absolutely. And back to your other point, Sarah, about your, you know, your sister losing her dad and and growing up, you know, having not really, she won't remember him. It'll kind of just be like getting to know her dad through the memory of other people. Like I'm sure that, you know, there are some listeners out there going through a similar experience to that. I can imagine that would be so... heartbreaking like not having you know a memory of your parent to go off yourself yeah and I think for Lily as well like it must be so huge because she's hearing about a man that is so incredibly loved and just was so great and he's just a kind of enigma like he's Mm. not a real person to her and it must feel so strange to be so connected to this person that she's never met and yeah, like it, it's it's tough. I'm sure. I mean, she's obviously grown up without a father now, but also is her father. And yeah, it must be just really strange to be told how similar she is to him, but also quite lovely in another way because she knows how much we all love him, and he definitely lives on through her. Actually, just back to to some of the you know more spiritual stuff. I have this really vivid memory of Lily when she was when she was little, maybe four, maybe four, and she we were in the car uh, driving in Adelaide, and it was sunset, and she said, "See that, see that sky? Daddy did that to me," and we were just like, 
huh? <laughs> and then all of us started crying uh, as, as we would. And this is, you know, unprompted, just a moment that she had and that she felt that her dad had just painted the sky in these sunset colours for her. And through her, the early years especially, she would often sort of say things about her dad like that. And, you know, like I said, whether you're spiritual or not, there are certain things where you're just like, hmm, <laughs> you know, there is something a little more to that. And and I think it's so beautiful to watch children connect with, with people who have passed as well because they are unfiltered and they don't know what they're meant to be feeling or seeing. And I think we can learn a lot from them in that way. If I wasn't crying before, I'm definitely crying now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It really is. It's so beautiful. So he passed away when you were 23. You'd not long been in Sydney. You were building your life in a new city. What did those next few years looked like for you after Daryl passed and how did you cope? Yeah, I it was look, I was in shock for for years, I think. And I I was just kind of flailing. And I think that that's how a lot of people feel after you know, after they have someone pass away. And when you have someone especially who's had that terminal illness, like I was grieving for two years. And, you know, and there were good days and bad days and the good days really get you. They really make you think, oh, maybe they'll get through this. And then you ha- they have a bad day and you're like, of course they're not going to get through this. We know what diagnosis is. But it's like an addiction. It's like a toxic relationship that you let yourself be a part of. You, you know better, but you can't help it. You can't help but hope that it is going to get better. And you just give it one more try. You just, you know, you just you let that little bit of hope crawl in. And you just want to let let that be there for a while. And but like all addictions and toxic relationships, it always ends badly. It always <laughs> it always ends with you in a heap somewhere. And it's kind of even what it felt like afterwards. Like I was kind of I was kind of relieved because there was an end to the roller coaster ride finally. So there is a big exhalation, and then there's all the guilt that comes with feeling relieved. That, that it's over finally. And then after you process all that, it's the denial of that they're really gone. And then working through all the emotions that go, go with that. So it kind of, it almost felt like it took a long time for me to get to the grieving part because I just had so much to process and that was going on in my life. And I broke up with a boyfriend who I'd been with for years. And I just like, I just did so much change altogether. I had so much else going on that I feel like I put the grief in a box and I didn't actually deal with it until until much later. And it, and it definitely unfolded in, in other ways. Like, you know, I threw myself, like I said, into my work. But then I was, it was so inextricably linked to my work that I sort of lived and died by everything that happened there. And, you know, it took so many years to realize that I hadn't allowed myself to grieve and then to spend many more sitting with that and being okay with that. And, you know, it's as you both know, it's such a long, never-ending process that, you know, I think we're all still working on it in many ways. It will always be with you. It's just mm. navigating it and learning how to live with it. And I think that it's quite a common thing 
from what I've heard for people to throw themselves into into work and I remember after my mum had passed away I had two months off and then I went back to work and I was firing on all cylinders I was probably the Mm. most productive that I've been for a long time and it was weird because Mm. I was like I wasn't expecting to be like that Mm. I think it was because it was a coping mechanism at that time and something you can control like Mm. you have that ability like this major transformation has happened in your life but work now that's something that you can control a little bit so it is kind of it makes sense it's so interesting like I'm here on the other end of the spectrum altogether Mm -hmm. like because I was off on kind of maternity leave when I had my daughter and my mum died and the thought of going back to work now has become this overwhelming monster in my life like I think had I just thrown myself back into it I would have been okay but now because I've taken so much time it's kind of just become this huge yeah this Mm. mountain that I just can't face and you know people say oh when do you think you'll go back to work and I just feel so overwhelmed by even Mm. the thought of starting a job where people don't know me and people don't know what I've just gone through and it's kind of like having to pretend that you know I'm this kind of normal person and yeah Mm. it just frightens me so much so it's interesting to hear you know the the opposite end yeah and but I think that what you've just nailed there is like just how intensely personal grief is and how everybody deals with it in a unique way and that there is no right or wrong here because we're talking about feelings and emotions and you know and to me that was one of the hardest things that I had to wrap my head around like I was in a workplace that didn't have a very good understanding of these things and that also pushed me to throw myself into work and what I mean by that is that there was this real expectation that I would be fine and now that it was over it was all systems go and back to normal and I had he, he passed away in early December and I had a couple weeks off and I was back at work in January and because magazines closed down over the Christmas period anyway and it was just like, all right, well, back to work then. And there was no one checking in on me and there was no one asking if I was okay anymore and there was just people chasing deadlines and this, this real sense of, well, well, it's over now. Like what kind of, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why, aren't you why aren't you working like you used to? You know, and that was such a shock to my system as well and fed into this thing, this, insecurity or whatever that I had that I, I needed to get over it and yeah and so that was my experience I know other people that I know have had similar experiences at their own work and there's just so much education I think that needs to be done especially in workplaces around grief and dealing dealing with people who are going through grief. A hundred percent because there is that expectation I think from society that you get over it after a couple of months or it's after the initial shock of losing your loved one that you'll be mm. that you'll be okay um, mm. and I think if you haven't experienced a big loss people don't understand that it's not like that you know it's always with you and yeah you, you might mm. be able to function at work but it doesn't mean that you're okay that's exactly it and you know it was the same thing with my friends and I don't blame anybody at, at all because it's just a lack of awareness and and understanding because 
they haven't been through it exactly like you said. And then, you know, in the following years when people have gone through it, they have been able to understand that, you know, that it isn't just something that you get over. <laughs> so and, true. You know, you, you can't, you're not a full person anymore in that, in that way. And, you know, you're carrying something else with you. And it's, you know, like I said, I, I don't blame anyone because it's just a lack of understanding and people, and I hope through podcasts like this and, and resources such as this, that people will learn a little bit more how, you know, how to, to cope with grief and to, for it to be talked about in a way that is more open so that more people sort of can understand because that I think is one of the most damaging things is that there's this expectation that you just go back as normal. Like everyone else's life continues on as normal after you lose someone except for yours. And, you know, you've just gone through this incredible transformation and everyone's just going to work and eating their salads like (laughs) it's a normal day. And you're just like, but I'm feeling like I can barely breathe on a daily basis and you're just going on like it's a normal day. You're living in two absolutely different world and it's just it's one of the hardest spaces to navigate I think so true and I think you know that's part of my major anxieties about going back to work because people in the workplace they don't really know how to approach grief and and also it's like those that small talk lunchroom chat like the thought of that gives me so much anxiety it's like oh how was your weekend it's like I don't want anyone to ever even ask me that question because if I can't be honest about it I don't want to answer it and it's like I think yeah it's just become this major anxiety now because you know people in the workplace don't really know how to go about it and you know, I know, and it makes it so solitary. Like, like you said, because then you don't want to do the the workplace chat, and then you you turn inwards again, and so it becomes even more solitary. The grieving. One thing I found really helped me, and I don't know whether people found it a bit strange, but I actually would quite openly talk about my mum to work colleagues, and openly talk about like oh mum did this or you know um and I found that was a really good way for me to um, not only cope but also let them know that I was open to talking about it because I think some mm. people might think that you don't want to talk about it or they don't know how to approach the, the subject so I've always been quite open with that which I think did help with some of my colleagues kind of feeling comfortable to ask questions around me but mm. also some people don't ask when they don't mention anything because they don't know what to say or they might feel like it might come out wrong or so there's definitely like you say Sarah such a big education piece around how to approach someone who's grieving especially in the workplace because Mm. most people only take a few few weeks off after they've lost a loved one then they are back to work it's just the reality of life and there definitely needs to be more open conversations Mm, absolutely and I mean that's incredible that you were I guess self-aware enough to be able to give those cues to other people because you know they're you're right people feel deeply uncomfortable around grief and so they don't know what to say and so they don't say anything at all and the lack of acknowledgement is worse because because you have just gone through this huge change it would be, it's like having a baby and no one's saying how's your baby it's like mm, on a minute, yeah. I was pregnant a second ago like, you can't just ignore the fact that I, you know, I've had this thing happen now. But because of their own discomfort around the idea of grief and loss, 
you know, they just don't say anything at all. And I think that the silence is worse, to be honest. And Sarah, you've spoken quite openly before about people not really knowing how to deal with grief and saying the wrong things and in the past even, you know, avoiding you. Can you tell us more about your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of touched on it a little bit with the, with the work stuff, but it was, the same with, it was the same with the friends at the time and people were just uncomfortable. And I, like I since know that, that it's not because they don't necessarily not care, it's because they don't know what to say. But just going through that thing of them ignoring it or avoiding the topic and just carrying on like life was normal made it a really lonely experience and especially because I was in a relatively new city and I didn't sort of have my people around me or my family and friends I just I, I just felt it a lot for a long time I felt like I was flailing for a really long time because I just had no one I could speak to about this and I of course saw some counsellors and people about my grief at the time but even that sort of didn't anchor me you know in any sort of way so it just felt just felt really lonely like because of all those things and because people would avoid the topic or just tentatively say something like ask if I was okay but that petered off like I said after you know a month or so and then everyone was like back to normal and sort of ignored that this huge huge thing had just happened in my life and I think for me I just I felt like I needed it validated like I, I wanted him to still be a part of my life and I had changed so dramatically that it felt like I wasn't being seen and, you know, like I had this huge invisible friend and no one else could see him except for me. And I just wanted somebody to be like, oh, how's that friend of yours? (laughs) Instead of just, you know, pretending that nothing had happened. And I think since then I have sort of realized that maybe a part of me going through this so young was, so that I could be that person for so many other people because obviously now it's 15 years later and I have had many friends have had people pass and I've been able to be that support for them because of what I went through and I lost friends and then I gained some other friends and that was okay too but it's just that lack of understanding and acknowledgement like even if you don't know what to say I think that acknowledging what had happened what has happened goes a long way you know when you're in that grieving process it really really does and like you said we've had a few guests on the podcast talk about the gift that you get losing someone at an earlier age but also you know at any point is that you get to pay it forward to others who who Mm. experience a loss and like you say you know you get to be there for other people and you understand what they need in that moment and I think that is something that you do get to pay forward from losing somebody and especially so young because you were 23 and you know it's very unusual to lose someone so close to you at that age and I imagine a lot of your friends that you were surrounded with your peers had no idea about what that loss felt like so I can see how that would have been so lonely and especially Sydney is quite a you know a difficult city to make friends you know very clicky yeah yeah Mm, and it takes mm. it takes a while to find your tribe doesn't it absolutely and I was very much still finding my feet at the time and curating that tribe (laughs) as it were so you know there was there was like I said a lot going on but 
I do think that it's it's kind of a beautiful legacy in a lot of ways that, you know, this great teacher in my life, almost as a parting gift, gave me the tools to be able to help so many others through that time with whatever they need. And Sarah, you talk about how after Daryl passed away, you pushed your grief aside in a way and it came out in other ways a little bit later on in life. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, look, I, it was a lot to do, like I said, with, with work. Like I, I sort of transferred, it's almost like my self-worth or my, you know, my feelings onto onto work stuff so I sort of I just lived and died by any little thing that happened (laughs) at work and you know and it took me a long time to sort of extricate my self-worth and my my ego my personality from that because it all felt linked and I think especially because I started my career at this time when you know all this stuff with Daryl was happening so it in a way it also felt like a link to him and uh, even stepping out of it, stepping out of magazines years later, I sort of didn't realise at the time but it felt like a little bit like a Daryl chapter was closing because he was the one that pushed me to continue with that and I think I didn't realise at the time that partly why I was still doing it even if I had felt like maybe it was time to move on for, for a while was because it felt like a remaining link to him. What um, advice would you give to someone who is experiencing grief and loss? I think, like I was saying before, just do you. Like, there is no time limit. There's no right way. Feel whatever you need to feel in whatever time limit you need to feel it in. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to feel better because it's okay to feel crappy. This is a crappy thing. That is happening, and you're not supposed to wake up and feel like it's gone. And here I am, 16 years on, and December 9, which is the day that Daryl died, comes around every single year, and I'm still an absolute nutcase every time that it happens. And I pick fights with my partner, I cry for no reason, but then I go, Oh, it's not no reason, it's December 9. It lives with you forever. It is just you know, it's just always there and you will feel better and it will get easier. But when that time comes, is not up to anybody else. And it's not really even up to you because there's a lot of work that goes into the grieving and the process of thereafter. And I just don't think, I don't think that we are being fair on ourselves when we expect to just feel better about it. And to be honest, we wouldn't say a lot about the person that has passed if we just did feel better and suddenly it was okay that this gaping hole in our life wasn't there anymore. The depth of feeling is a testament to how important the person was in your life as well. So why should you just wake up and feel like it's okay again? And as a friend, I think just understanding that everyone goes through it so differently and just being there for whatever version of grief that your friend is going through is is enough and acknowledging that it has happened look so you're going through also like eight months after as well like that's such an important time I feel because people have moved on in their lives but to me with my friends especially I like to just check in every month or every couple of months and just just see how they're going because it doesn't stop. 
And for them, they're still carrying this huge weight with them. And just a little message, just, how you doing? What's today feeling like? Whatever it is, however you communicate, just letting them know that you're there too and it hasn't been forgotten what they're going through. It's just like the great, one of the greatest gifts of friendship that you could possibly give them because people could be going through this for years and years and years. Very good advice. And I think we do want to rush this process. You know, I know I definitely Mm -hmm. do. I just want to speed it up and be like done with it. But, you know, Mm -hmm. what was I saying before, Sal, today? You've got to feel it to heal it. Yes. That's my new new (laughs) thing. Feel it to heal it. But you really, you have to just allow yourself to kind of go through all the motions and, mm-hmm. and yeah, but having that, that friendship there, like you said, with somebody checking in and, and being there for you every step of the way is so important and really powerful to have that as well, I think, for the healing. Yeah, and it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be every day, but it's just to have someone remembering with you mm-hmm. as well. Like it, it doesn't feel like you have to carry it all alone. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so lovely to talk to you. And I feel like there are some really good lessons that I personally have taken from our conversation. It's been a real honour. Thank you. Really good advice. Thanks, Sarah. You're so welcome. And thank you for letting me talk about Daryl for so long. It's been beautiful. <laughs> I, I relish in the opportunity to, to keep him alive in my life. And that's been very special thank you so much so that takes us to the end of today's episode if you've enjoyed listening please don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening to and if you can leave us a rating or a review everything really helps and if you know someone who might benefit from listening to this podcast please spread the word about good morning good morning